My racing career isn't just about me. It's about the team, the fans, the sponsors, the families, the tracks, the whole sport. Join us over the next five months on the Junior Nation Appreciation Tour, where we show appreciation to where it's owed. This is Dale Jr., and you're listening to Dirty Mo' Radio. I was happy for Dad after it was over and he had won, but I don't like to finish second. This is the Daytona 500, and thank God! It's an accomplishment that we'll not forget. There's a lot of satisfaction in winning the championship. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Rick Hendrick, I hope I'm with you for a long time. At the end of the day, you still want to see a lot of people in those stands. I am history. (laughs) Back in the day, with Steve Richards and Ron LeMasters. NASCAR history is a rich tapestry of speed, personality, and great racing. Here at Back in the Day, we celebrate that history by keeping it alive, just like Dale Earnhardt Jr. did on the original TV show. We'll take important dates, races, and trends in NASCAR and pass them along to you. Here comes Back in the Day from the Exalta Studio inside Junior Motorsports. Do you remember the earthquake that happened on August 6, 1994? What am I talking about? Why, the inaugural Brickyard 400, of course. As far as seminal moments in NASCAR history go, this is right up there with the first Daytona 500, Richard Petty's seven titles, and Jimmy Johnson's run of five straight championships. This is NASCAR racing on what had been hallowed ground only for IndyCars. And in a strange coincidence, hot air balloons. It's a little-known fact that one Bill France Sr., in the wake of the tragic accident at Le Mans in 1955, and AAA's pulling out of the sanctioning body business, traveled to 16th Street and Georgetown Road to try and persuade Tony Holman to let NASCAR sanction the greatest spectacle in racing. He was unsuccessful, to say the least. Yet in 1994, NASCAR stock cars rolled out onto the immaculately smooth Indy pavement and proceeded to put on a show for a jam-packed stadium. Prior to the addition of the NASCAR race, nothing else had been run at IMS, at least as far as official races go, with the exception of the first event, which was for hot air balloons, in 1909. And that didn't count since they didn't actually use the racing service. As a native Hoosier and proud son of Speedway, well, I'm a grandson anyway, my father grew up there, it was a banner day for me to see NASCAR's best on the best track in the world, bar none. What else was going on in 1994? Glad you asked. The Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl over the hapless Buffalo Bills. For just the second time in history, there was no World Series. A labor strike canceled the fall classic. The heartbreaking Schindler's List won Best Picture that year, and Forrest Gump was released as well. It would win Best Picture the following year. ER and Chicago Hope dominated the airwaves on TV, while LA Law and Star Trek The Next Generation signed off for the last time. It was a big year for celebrity passings. Having lost a close one eight years ago and having won a close one this year, I can say this, winning's a lot more fun. (laughs) Former President Richard Nixon boarded Marine One for his final trip to glory. Telly Savalas, Kojak, said, Who loves you, baby? For the last time. John Candy went second city for real. Cesar Romero, who played the Joker on the original Batman TV series, played his final caper on the caped crusader. (laughs) That brings us to our topic for today, the Brickyard 400 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
The inaugural played to a packed house, and in one of those coincidences that pop up in NASCAR like dandelions in April, an Indiana driver won the race. Not just any Indiana driver either. It was Jeff Gordon, who became the successor to the retired Richard Petty as the face of NASCAR and the white hat foil to the man in black, Dale Earnhardt. His boyishness and wispy mustache were a direct contrast to the Intimidator, and NASCAR Nation ate it up with a spoon. Let's bring in Steve Richards, longtime broadcaster and pit reporter for the Performance Racing Network, as well as the producer of our show back in the day. Did you ever think you'd see the day NASCAR would race at IMS? No, like a lot of people, I never saw it coming. Uh, it was amazing when uh, NASCAR announced they were going there, when they are going to test there. And you and I both covered that first tire test back in 1993. That's right. And the first car out on the racetrack was number three, Dale Earnhardt. I wish we could tell the folks what he said on that first lap. <laughs> it had to do with Chinese arithmetic. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what it was. Those of us that had scanners that day. Yeah, that was, a, that was an incredible day. And one of my most memorable uh, days covering the race, covering racing. Absolutely. And, and look, I've, it's well known that I am an Indy 500 maniac. Right. It, it was, it's one of the pivotal events in my childhood. But what did you think about stock cars racing there? I enjoyed it. It was different. I mean, uh, you remember the old press box there, which was open air. Mm-hmm. We, we got up into the press box and didn't think anything about it until they came by there the first time. And it rattled your fillings. I mean, it was loud. Uh huh. Uh huh. We were used to like the whine of a of an Indy car. I right. mean, those were pretty loud too. The the stock block engines. But I mean, it was nothing like forty three stock cars right in a row. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, you know, NASCAR tends to race a little closer than Indy cars do. So it was it was constantly there. I mean, it, Advil sales were through the roof. It was everybody <laughs> had a headache. You know, and, and but I re, you know just the pageantry. It was enough different from Indy, the 500, to make IMS happy. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool to see something else happen there for the first time. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis is as hidebound in tradition as anybody I know. Mm-hmm. And for a good reason. I mean, it's been around 100 years. Here they come. That's familiar. Yeah. That is. But imagine 43 of them. Yeah. I mean, this was just practice. The sound of the cars at Indy, mm-hmm. it's like no other. Right. Stock cars, Indy cars, no matter what. It's because all that metal that the sound is bouncing off of. Yeah. That's enough of that. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> it's got my, got, my, got my juices going here now. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was, it was really cool. They, they had the balloons. They, had the, you know, they didn't sing Back Home Again in Indiana, of course. What do they sing? I can't remember. I don't think they God bless any. America. I yeah, probably, yeah. But uh, I have all the credentials, that purple and that gaudy purple and gold. I have all those credentials at home in a shadow box. I just have my tire test credential. Yeah, that you're going to give to the Hall of Fame. Signed by all the drivers. <laughs> That's pretty – Kyle Petty started that. Yeah. And so some of – I don't know how many of us still have those in our collections, but, uh, you know, I'll mention that to Buzz McKim when he – we do our featured segment. Yeah. We'll talk about that later, but uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, everybody signed it on the front except for Bill Elliott, who signed it on the back. I don't wow. think there was any room. Well, uh, Bill Elliott's got a big—he's a big signature, big, big signature, big signature. So. <laughs> that's hard to say. Yeah, say that three times real fast. You know, and really, I think. The, but what what I was getting at yeah. is that I really have only covered a few races there. I covered a lot of the testing. Right. That went on because Performance Racing Network, most of our staff broadcast the Brickyard 400. They didn't need me. 
Right. So I didn't really cover that race, you know, most of the time. Sometimes I would go for pre-race and then stay for about the first 20 laps, and then I could fly home. Right. So they didn't really need me to work, so I did. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, why not? You beat the crowd. Yeah. In, in the early days, it was a big crowd. It was huge. And and then it, wa- it wasn't as big as Indy now, or the 500. Right. Because IMS wasn't going to let that happen. Right. But I will remember that the fans are completely different. Indy 500 fans go there and they pretty much trash the place, or they used to anyway. Yeah. Back in the heyday of the snake pit. And uh, everybody was so amazed at IMS that NASCAR fans were polite. They used the trash cans. Uh, there was a lot less uh, shenanigans going on in full public view. Right. Well, of course, it was only three days, too. Indy was a month. <laughs> they had time to build up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've seen, I, I got quite an education in the snake pit at Indianapolis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, look, there's, there's a lot of things that Indianapolis does well. And I don't know if I've told you the story or not, but... The first year, 94, we were there for the test session. And the, the opening day of, of the race, that weekend, 94, mm-hmm. India had built the new garages there. And they, each of them had uh, very nice bathroom shower facilities in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I went into one of those buildings and uh, I was uh, doing what I was there for. And uh, there's a sign above the one of the urinals yeah. that says, Dear NASCAR people, do not eat the big white mint. <laughs> It was a great. I mean, I laughed like crazy. And if I if I had a cell phone at the time, I would have taken a picture of it, but I didn't. So that's great. and you really don't want to be dragging a camera into the men's room. That's you know? great. That's sort of a weird thing. The reputation of NASCAR fans. Yes. Preceded well, them. Indy IndyCar was a bunch of wine and cheese. Exactly. Guys too. Exactly. And at that point, the snobs, pretty much. They mm-hmm. aren't anymore. I mean, they're they're a lot more. This was in the heyday of cart. You know, 94, 95, yeah. right before the cart IRL split happened. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was interesting. But, uh, you know, Gordon won that first race, the inaugural Brickyard 400. Right. Dale Sr., Dale Earnhardt Sr., got even the following year. Since, since you know, he was the white hat, the Lone Ranger type, and Dale was the villain. And, and I mean, you know, sort of how that played out. Uh, he got even, and he won in 95 after a rain delay. I, I was working uh, for National Speed Sport News at the time. Mm-hmm. We covered it. We had to be back the next day to get the paper out. So we had to leave. We thought it was canceled. We had we'd lined up some. Actually, we lined up my father to cover the race, write the race report. Right. And um, the next day, we're out at I-70 getting ready to turn to Ohio. They're back running. Uh-huh. We couldn't believe it. But, I mean, it was really a cool deal that he won. It, and it was rain delayed. And they, run, they don't have lights there. They'll never have lights there. But it, it was a really kind of cool follow-up to good guy wins quasi bad guy wins you know not bad guy but you know what i'm saying after the race earnhardt was uh, very proud of his brickyard 400 win it's got to rank up there with everything you've ever done but uh, we won seven championships and uh, i think the history of this place is just starting with nascar being the second driver to ever win a race here the indy 500 has got so many how many years of history so to start be out be in history uh, set set in stone now that we're a winner at brickyard and uh Someday when I retire and I'm gone from racing, the people look back and say that Earnhardt was a winner here, seven-time champion was a winner here. It's going to be pretty impressive. There's no other seven-time champion that's ever won here. It's kind of funny that the first two Brickyard 400 wins, friends won the first two races. People don't <laughs> consider them friends, but they were business partners and friends. And that's right. And everybody thinks of them as enemies, but you know there was a mutual respect there, too. 
he was a loss for words after he won the inaugural Brickyard 400. I don't know how to describe it in words. You know, I've had so many people ask me, what does this feel like? I think it's far past any feeling that, that I know. I'm just, uh, I'm in a dreamland right now, and, and I don't want to pinch myself. Uh, this race means so much to so many people, and it couldn't mean any more than it does to me. And, you know, I've had so many fans uh, uh, been cheering us on all week, and, and uh, you know, to see him out there standing up cheering for us uh, on that last lap, I had to take an extra lap because uh, it, it meant an awful lot to me. I was very emotional in Charlotte, but uh, if you would have seen or heard my emotions in that car coming across that checkered, you, you wouldn't have believed it. I can't put it in perspective. I mean, that's just it. You know, I can't. Uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, I, you know, I'm... Like I said in the press room, I'm a kid in a candy store with a big smile on his face. He's going to be there for a long time with a big wad of money in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> big wad of money, obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, and the purse there was, was pretty big. It was second only to Daytona. Yeah. And NASCAR wouldn't let him have a purse bigger than Daytona. And he mentioned uh, Charlotte. Well, he won his first uh, race that season, Coca-Cola 600, mm-hmm. less than two months earlier, uh, first uh, NASCAR race, Well, you uh, know, first cup win. If you're <laughs> If you're going to start checking boxes, the Coca-Cola 600 and the inaugural Brickyard 400, pretty big boxes. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. It's what, what I found was funny, one of the best stories that came out of that race, of course, uh, at the time, Gordon was married to, uh, to Brooke, and um, the race was blacked out on local television. Yeah. So they re-ran the race later that evening. Mm-hmm. And guess who wanted to watch the race? Who? The winner. <laughs> and what did the winner want? He just wanted a pizza. Wow. We got back to the hotel, Brooke and I did, and we're just beat, man. I was like, gosh, I got, you know, I got to get into some sweats and a T-shirt and just kick back. I turned the TV on. All of a sudden, they're saying, you know, the race is coming on because it had been delayed in Indianapolis. So it's kind of like perfect, you know. (laughs) What, What can make this day any better? And I said, you know what we need? I said, we need to order a pizza. That turned into the biggest chore that I'd had all day. I mean, it was just—it wasn't just call up and order a pizza. I mean, first I couldn't find the place to, that would deliver to that track, and then when I did, they told me it was an hour and 45 minutes. I said, "What?" I said, "An hour and 45 minutes." They said, "Well, in case you didn't know, there's a big race that just happened over there." You know, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And and so you know, I didn't want to do it, but I had to. I just said. Can I speak to your manager? Uh, you know, I'm the one that won that race over there, and, and all I want to do is order a pizza. And if I could get it any quicker than an hour and 45 minutes, that would really help my day out a bunch. After I talked to him, he called back to the hotel and made sure it was me calling and everything. Uh, once they confirmed it, that thing was there in 30 minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I kind of peeked open the door a little slow at first. Uh, I was expecting something, but it was just one guy, and, uh, and you know, he was probably glad because he would have had to split all that, that money with, with, uh, with all his people. So he came by himself and uh, got a big tip. <laughs> I like it. Isn't that great? Well, it's, it sounds like him, too. Yeah. I mean, he grew up as a, as an open-wheel driver. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of pizza on the road, cold and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that kind of warms the cockles of your heart, I think. Speaking of uh, open-wheel drivers, you know he's a big Rick Mears fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Jeff was never, he's never been an autograph guy. Right. You know, he's all, he always likes to take, have his picture taken with a famous same person. You know, same thing. Well, Gordon said that, Getting Rick Mears' autograph when he was 
Younger was one of the highlights of ever going to Indianapolis. My first really neat experience was getting Rick Mears' autograph here. I stood out there on that fence on Pitt Road and waited and waited and waited, had a t-shirt, and uh, it's really probably the first and only time I've ever waited for somebody else's autograph. And I, you know, I know I still got that shirt somewhere. It's neat though. Now, now I know Rick Mears, and, and he's a neat guy, and I'm really proud that. Uh, you know, that I was pulling for him and, and what all he's done. Glad he didn't have to wait for Danica's autograph. That's true. Yeah. Get a lecture <laughs> on, what, on what your job is. But now, interestingly enough, Jeff Gordon has one-upped Rick Mears because he has five victories and Rick only has four. Yeah, yeah. At Indy. And having been to every one of Rick Mears's four. Pretty so cool. That, yeah, it was, uh, It was. of course, Roger Penske, unfair advantage, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, but although Rick Mears... Never never a mix-it-up kind of guy. I saw him pull off the dangdest pass I've ever seen in an IndyCar. Yeah. On the outside of Michael Andretti with nine laps remaining in the 1991 Indy 500. It was amazing. I don't know how he made it stick. I don't know how he didn't crash. I don't know, I didn't, I don't know how he didn't crash both of them, but he did. That mm-hmm. was a major Stones move right there. He's Rick Mears. That's right. That's right. Plus, they're native Californians and all. <laughs> Hoosiers claim Jeff because he spent most of his time in Pittsburgh. Right. Which is famous for the Brick Tavern, by the way. Pickled eggs and Conway Twitty on the jukebox. No thank you to the eggs, but I'll <laughs> take the Conway Twitty anytime. You, you know, what was, here, trivia question. Yes. What was Conway Twitty's real name? Uh, Conway Twitty. Harold Jenkins. Really? Yes. Okay. I'm not a big country music fan. I like country music, yeah. but not a big, not to that degree that I know a whole lot of uh, trivia. I don't, uh, I don't know where I picked that up. Probably from my dad, but. Uh, I found it out, and it's always stuck with me. Some so. of the most famous names of all time were not their real names. Roy Rogers. John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Mary and Michael Morrison. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Trivia man. Trivia man. That's what, yeah. that's what I do. 2005, Tony Stewart. Tony. Speaking of Indiana natives, Hoosiers. That's right. Hoosiers. He was born in Rushville, but uh, actually born in Columbus. No, born in Rushville, lived in Columbus. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well. Of course, uh, you know, Tony won it twice, 2005. That definitely uh, fulfilled a dream for him. You dream about something for so long, you, you become consumed by it. The parts of my life, I, you know, I worked in this area. I drove a tow truck for a guy that I raced sprint cars against and uh, would drive down 16th Street Speedway and wonder what it would be like to be 300 feet to the left and running 200 mile an hour and I got a chance to do that and you know finally today you got to feel what it feels like and see what it's what the view is of coming down that front straightaway and seeing those checkered flags uh, as the first driver to go under versus the third or fourth driver. And what did it feel like to take those checkers at Indy? I've always wondered what it would be like to come down the front straightaway and see those checkered flags waving for me and it was everything I thought it would be and more so uh, by far this is the best day of my life ever. I saw the in-car video when he did that mm-hmm. for the first time. Tony doesn't move around much in the car. He about undid the seatbelts without actually touching the uh, <laughs> touching the hooks because, I mean, he's just wiggling. He, of course, you can't really move in those cars, but that was during a period of time where I worked for him some. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know as a native Hoosier myself what it would be like to do that. Yeah. Now, I've always understood that I never had the talent to be on there in anything but a pace car. Right. But he always, you know, when he was running open wheel cars, he'd drive that wrecker around. He'd just walk and look at the speedway. You know, mm-hmm. he he told me that one day in the bus somewhere, mm-hmm. and and for him to you know, it would be like a kid that it's like Rudy at Notre Dame, you always want to just go play. 
And he did. And he got to play on the stage that he wanted to play on, and he got to win. There's always funny stories attached yes. to these big races. Most of them involve Tony Stewart, oddly enough. Yeah, <laughs> Tony, and I don't see how he could do this, but his dad, Nelson, mm-hmm. he could see his dad in the stands. Wow. I slipped once in two, and I come back the next lap, he's got his headset off, and he's pointing to his head just like he did when I was eight years old racing go-karts, <laughs> saying, you know, use your head. I'm sitting there thinking, Dad, I got here for a reason because I know what I'm doing. Just let me do my job. So I couldn't even argue with the guy at that point. It's like he's got to be right for at least the next 45 minutes till I get done. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know a place so intimately that you know where your dad is sitting. Well, it, he had a suite over there in turn two, which I think they've since torn down or remodeled either one. Mm-hmm. But Nelson was, uh, you know, as, as crotchety as Tony can get, mm-hmm. he got that from someplace. Nelson is one of those guys who drives you hard. And great guy. I mean, it, and look what it's done for his son. Yeah. You know, but I see softball dads that are like that a lot. And it is what it is. And, and he's his dad. And, and, and I see it. But, you know, really, my girls can sit there and look and they know exactly where I am. And all I have to do is point at my head and whatever. Yeah, but, but a softball field is different than the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, not really. It's huge. <laughs> You're it's right. It's huge. Right. Well, here's the thing, too. <laughs> it, it, you know, you realize that. At 200 miles an hour, you're traveling a football field a second. Yeah. Okay. Being able to actually having the vision and the wherewithal to pick somebody out. That's what makes individual a crowd. That's what makes these race car drivers special, I believe, is the vision. Their reaction time, things like that, and their talent, natural talent. But the vision, Mm -hmm. like an NHL goalie, you've got to have that vision, and we'll never have it. Well, A.J. Foyt at one point was a 2010. Wow. And depth perception and closing rate. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, I, you know, imagine the trouble we have on I-77 here in Charlotte mm-hmm. that doing that at 200 miles an hour. Now, 2005, Tony spotted his dad. Mm-hmm. 2007, when he won the race, uh-huh. spotted Nelson again. <laughs> I could see my dad on the third floor this year. It's like, good grief. This guy's going to haunt me for 160 laps again. And, and, and I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I remembered when I made a mistake there last year, and he was trying to get me to calm down. I just was fearful the first time I made a mistake in that corner with what was going to happen when I came around and the sign he was going to give me to calm down or something. So I tried to, the, every time I made a mistake, to not even look up there. But, um, you know, I can look up there and see how nervous he is by what he's doing and how he's acting up there. I mean, you can tell. I can tell also when I was a kid when I was going to get my butt beat. So you just learn things like that. <laughs> Yes, positive reinforcement and uh-huh. negative reinforcement. Yeah. I tell you. Well, you know, and look, Tony's made untold millions of dollars, mm-hmm. and, and it paid off. It worked. And, and the fact that he wins, and again, you know, I'm speaking to this from as a Hoosier native. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be like it would be like hitting the uh, winning shot in Market Square Arena, which has since gone. It's now Banker's Life Fieldhouse or whatever. Whatever. To win the Indiana State High School Basketball Championship. That would yeah. be... I mean, every kid that's grown up in Indiana has has had that thought. You know, Tony Stewart never won the Daytona 500. Nope. I don't think he cares. No. Nope. I mean, he kind of cares, but he doesn't care. He won mm-hmm. the Brickyard twice. Right. That's what he cares about. He won to win at Darlington, too. Well, that's true. Yeah. But still, these are the most important wins. Exactly. 
other than Homestead when he won the championship right. over Carl Edwards. That was pretty darn important, that too. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, 2005 versus 2007, Tony talked about those two victories and compared them. The first one was just like taking the weight of the world off your shoulders. I mean, today it's like we're just happy now. That's probably what helped us not being wound up and being able to be calm and, and relaxed because it wasn't like the untouchable anymore. I mean, we, we got it two years ago. I mean, it was like a life or death situation for me two years ago. It wasn't that kind of situation. Well, you know, and and really, he's he's the kind of guy that carries the load on his back. Mm-hmm. And you know, do you remember tracking Kevin Harvick down in that race at the end? I can't remember if it was oh five or oh seven, but here, kitty, 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 you know, like that. <laughs> I think it was the first one. It was the first. It had to be the first one because he tracked him down and passed him. And Harvick didn't didn't like that a whole lot, but because uh, they made contact. But I'm sorry, Tony would run through over under anything to get to the checker flag first and that was i mean that was it's emotional you know and he's he's an emotional kind of guy well 2007 was a great year at indy especially for tony stewart 2008 not so much for almost anybody anybody except for jimmy johnson who dominated right but man 2008 ron was just unbelievable it just about killed that race yeah yeah and tire problems yeah and they made a compound error Mm -hmm. and instead of marbling it pulverized yeah. It was like black talcum powder. It yeah. Was, that's the way it would wear. And it was unsafe to run at speed for more than 10 laps. So it became a 16 heat race feature. Carl Edwards finished second. He mm-hmm. was almost a Brickyard 400 winner. Of course, Jimmy Johnson had a dominant car that day. But Carl told us afterwards the tires just didn't work the way Goodyear thought they would work. Look, I've heard people go on tirades about it. Look, everybody's doing their job. I mean, everybody's trying their hardest. I mean, every once in a while I run into the wall or uh, act like I'm going to punch somebody after the race or something, and everybody <laughs> makes mistakes. And um, they just assume that that tire was going to – the rubber was going to fill in like it has before and everything would be fine. And what happened is it, it turned into a dust instead of laying into the racetrack, and it just never filled in the gaps so – Yes, it's their fault, but we're all doing the best we can. I just hope the fans understand that. Nobody wants to see us happen. Goodyear, you know, the least, I'm sure. So, you know, that's what it is. The winner, Jimmy Johnson, said the tire situation definitely was unfortunate. Nobody wanted to be in this position, but the situation that we had, I have to commend NASCAR in handling today like they did. I'm sure it was long and boring at times, but NASCAR called a great race. They kept us from tearing up race cars for no reason. Um, We had a couple guys blow tires out, but I think as an entire sport, we did everything we could today, and we've learned a lot. We'll take our lumps, I'm sure, and and come back next year and and put on a better show. You know, I remember the 2009 race being a particularly decent one, Mm -hmm. and um, the fans didn't come back. I mean, it was probably the least attended Brickyard 400. Yeah, it took a while for them to come back. Right, but, you know, eventually, when you see it was a one-off, and you you realize that a company like Goodyear, Mm -hmm. you know, Stu Grant aged 15 years in that single weekend. Yeah. And Stu Grant is the director of the worldwide uh, of Goodyear. Goodyear's been bulletproof for so long, and, and they get taken for granted. And when something like this happens, you know, they're, they're going to take it. But by about 2012, I think the attendance was back to where it would be, and, and they've kind of gone better ever since. Most of the time in NASCAR racing, tires are not an issue. Right. And that's to commend – you got to commend Goodyear for that. I mean, they, they've done their job – you know, with professionalism and top-notch character, and they, they do a great job week in and week out. Sometimes things just don't work out right. They're, exactly. they're human like everybody else. A, a few years ago, a few years before that, they they came to in the in the middle of the uh, tire battle with Hoosier. Mm-hmm. They were at Pocono, and their, and their tires were too wide. They wouldn't fit in the box. So everybody had to run Hoosier tires. Well, the tires were different enough that 
I mean, it really messed the Goodyear teams up. And Hoosier didn't have enough tires on hand to, to run the race. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, it happens rarely. But when it does, you got to kind of deal. And that's what they did. They couldn't say, well, you know, we're just going to cancel. Because they would have burned that place down. <laughs> it was Jimmy Johnson's fourth Brickyard 400 victory, something he couldn't really believe. It's unbelievable. To win four times here on a track that I uh, idolized as a kid and watched so many races. Well, once a year I'd watch a race, I guess. But uh, as a kid, you know, it's tough to keep your attention span and sit on the couch with my dad and, and grandfather in some cases and, and watch every lap of the 500. And then when NASCAR came here and my career was heading that way, man, I might be able to drive on that racetrack. And have it all turn out as it has is, is pretty awesome. And Jimmy was also shocked at the names that uh, he joined as four-time winners at Indianapolis. It's unbelievable to be in that company. You know, Rick Mears was a childhood hero of mine. Um, Jeff Gordon, um, you know Schumacher and what he's accomplished. You look at the, the guys that have won here four times, it's unbelievable. I can't believe I'm, I'm in that group. I'm uh, lost rewards for it, but uh, very proud of what I've been able to do as a driver. Very proud of this race team to stand up to the pressure you know, all day long and, and to get the job done. He forgot A.J. Foyt and Al Unser. Did he? Yes. He didn't say how many he had tied. He didn't give it a number, but I can understand where you would be. Irritated. Very upset. Upset. Yeah. Going to write a letter. (sighs) Maybe. No. Going to have to get a hold of that Johnson character. (laughs) Um, But, you know, look, winning at Indianapolis is like, as as we said before, it's like winning a game on Lambeau Field or some Yankee Stadium. Right. Wrigley you know, Field, Fenway, Fenway, Fenway yeah. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. But Indianapolis, you know, to me, and and <laughs> those of you who've listened have known my affinity for the place. But I mean, I stock cars belong there. Formula One race there. Mm-hmm. MotoGP races there. You know, it is a place built for racing, and it was a crime, in my opinion, to have it sit idle eleven months out of the year. Mm-hmm. Now they test or whatever, but I mean, come on now, it you can make money at it. And it's not all about making the money. It's about sharing the hit. You know, Le Mans is once a year, and that's a public-private um, uh, circuit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, during the <laughs> during the week, you know, Pierre and the wife go to the store on the Malzahn Strait, you know, because mm-hmm. that's actually a public road. But you can't do that in Indianapolis. Now, I said there was always a funny story connected uh-huh. to these. Did you know Jimmy Johnson, when he was a little kid, he trained to be an IndyCar driver? Uh, no, I did not know that. I'd take the couch and uh, turn it at the wall and build a cushion, like a little tunnel or a little thing to sit in, pretend I was a race car driver and watch the race. Um, was that last year? Uh, yeah, it was last year. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it'd be 2001 before it came into Cup. <laughs> Actually, I, I have something in common with him because uh, my father had a recliner mm-hmm. that when you pushed the, the leg part up, at that point, I could fit in between, and it was like you were in the cockpit, and you had a little steering wheel. Neat. And you could just – I raised, I won 50 Indy 500s. Did you? Yes. Wow. Never never crashed. Never – you know, nobody could beat me. Fantastic. I had a helmet. It was wonderful. <laughs> My mother would just walk by and shake her head and keep doing what she was doing. A couple of years later, Jeff Gordon would win his fifth. Wow, his fifth. Five, yeah. Brickyard 400, and uh, – he said the feeling of winning that race was a lot like the inaugural one in 1994. Very, very similar. Um, you know, I remember in, in 94, you know, just in the closing laps of just disbelief and you don't want to see a caution. You can't believe that, you know, you're leading the Brickyard 400 with just a handful of laps to go. You want to take that moment in and, and, and look into the crowd and see what they're doing. But at the same time, you don't want to lose focus and, and you know that, 
it's not over until, in this case, the white flag waves. And so, you know, I kept going in and out of those emotions of, of all right, you know, don't, don't get off track in what's going on. You know, remember, we still got to get to the end. Be ready if there is a, a caution. But yet, uh, you know, I will say on that last lap, I, I looked up in turn four, you know, and to just see everybody standing and, and cheering, that uh, that's awesome. That, that sends a chill up your spine as a race car driver in, in a, a race that is so important to you. And, and yet you have so many fans out there supporting you at the same time. And yet, Jeff Gordon is not the winningest driver at Indianapolis. That's true. That would be Michael Schumacher. Yeah. He won seven, but that's Formula One. That's not a real racing circuit. Anyway. <laughs> well, your open wheel faithful would say the same about stock cars. But that's true. That's but, another story. Yeah. But, you know. It's all racing. It's all good. What I found interesting was that was in 2014 mm-hmm. that Gordon won that race. Kyle Larson was also in that race. Wow. You know, we talk about the young kids coming up. They were just starting to come up then, and Larson actually finished seventh. He's got three top tens now. Kid's a wheel man. At, at the Brickyard. He, and we, we talk about funny quotes and funny mm-hmm. stories. Larson, in the post-race, was asked how NASCAR could make passing easier at Indianapolis. I don't know. I'm not an engineer. I, I don't know how to, how to answer that question. Cover it with dirt and, and put some wings on top. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. That's a solution for a lot of stuff in Kyle Larson's <laughs> life, really. But, I mean, the guy races, he reminds me a lot of the Foyts and the Unzers and the guys who would just race anything because they love it so much and they're good at it and he's fearless. And that ride he took at Daytona a few years ago, Mm -hmm. that would have shook anybody up. And he's back in the car the next week. Good kid. Great kid. He's going to win championships. Yep. I'll tell you what, we got. he might do it this year. He might. The way he's racing. You never know. And he's racing for Ganassi, too, which mm-hmm. is odd. I don't know if the world's ready for Chip Ganassi to win a title. but <laughs> uh, And I like Chip. I'm just giving him crap about it. Giving him a hard time. But, you know, I can remember when he was a rookie. I can remember watching him drive. He drove Indy cars. Mm-hmm. I watched him flip down the backstretch at Michigan. Wow. That was interesting. He he was okay. I mean, he hurt, hurt pretty good, but he was okay. Yeah. And... uh but he raced at Indy. I saw him there uh, when he became a team owner. His father, Floyd, was a character. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> um, but funny. I mean, really funny. Did not pay to, to make him angry. Mm-hmm. But, man, he was funny. Do you have a good Chip Ganassi story you can share with our folks? Um, Not really. It, it's it, I had to do an interview with him mm-hmm. one morning at Nazareth during the IndyCar race. Mm-hmm. And he made me wait for about six or seven minutes while he finished his bowl of Fruit Loops. Really? Yes. Chip Ganassi and Fruit Loops. Chip Ganassi, Fruit Loops, race morning. Perfect. At Nazareth in Pennsylvania. It's that sugar. Yes. You know, Yes. what gets him going. It was interesting. The IndyCar race at Texas, his car, Tony Kanaan, his driver, was involved in a crash. It wiped out about seven cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, James Hinchcliffe blamed Tony Kanaan. And Ganassi said, well, no, nah, it wasn't Tony's fault. It was just one of those racing deals. And they, <laughs> he was talking to uh, one of the interviewers. And he said, uh, when told what Chip had said, he goes, well, that's adorable. <laughs> you know, and I just, I fell off the couch laughing at that. <laughs> Chip Chip is not going to give you anything. Right. I mean, except a hard time. But, uh, you know, he said what he was expected to say. And, and you know, what it was kind of one of those deals. They got squeezed together and they're in open wheel cars and they're a little flighty. So that's what happened. But but Chip's a good guy and he's been good for the sport, I think. He and Felix about us. Is Buzz here? Buzz is not here, but we can talk to him. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are we ready to beat Buzz this week? I don't know if we're going to beat him. We're, we're going to give it a try. We're going to give it a shot. That's right. 
All right, so we're gonna go call Buzz. This week's featured segment is called Beat the Buzzer. It's very simple. We've managed to entice NASCAR Hall of Fame historian Buzz McKim to join us each week for this segment. And as if that isn't enough, our listeners can win prizes. Prizes? We prizes like prizes. From either Dirty Mo Radio or our sponsor, Exalta. Free stuff, yes. Free stuff. We like that. Buzz, welcome to Back in the Day. Well, thank you, gentlemen. You are gluttonous for punishment, aren't you? Yes, we are. We definitely are. <laughs> well, we just keep, you know, one of these days, though, we're going to turn the tables and, uh-huh. you know, you're buying that, aren't you? Something's going to come <laughs> of this. I don't know what. <laughs> Uh, give me your thoughts real quick before we start. Uh, what's your thoughts on NASCAR racing and IMS? Oh, my gosh. It's, uh, you know, it's a long-time dream come true for Big Bill France. Uh, of course, Big Bill founded the, the sport about 70 years ago this December. It'll be the 70th anniversary. And uh, Bill worked on teams before World War II with a fellow named Art Sparks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Big Bill would go out there every uh, May, and he'd work on the Arts team. In fact, uh, one of Arts' cars actually won the 1946 Indy 500, and Bill was on the winning crew. Wow. So uh, he started out in open-wheel racing, and he always dreamed of racing at Indy. And uh, then in 19, uh, 1994, NASCAR finally took the green flag for the first time at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So uh, every time that, that race comes around, every year I keep thinking, man, oh, man, wouldn't old Big Bill have enjoyed seeing this? Now, I have an interesting artifact at home that I'm not sure if the Hall of Fame will be interested, and I'm not sure if I would donate it. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I, covered, I covered the first tire test at Indy back in 1993. Oh. Ron was there as well. I have my credential signed by every driver who took part in that test. Oh, man. Now, see, that would be something we would really enjoy borrowing for yeah. a time. Yeah. And then we would return it to you, but that would all, be an awesome piece. All of the uh, drivers signed it on the front, except for mm-hmm. Bill Elliott, who signed it on the back. But, uh, but okay. uh, it's, it's really strange because Ernie Irvin signed his right next to Davey Allison's. Oh, name. man, isn't that wild? Huh? Yeah. I have a swizzle Ooh. stick from St. Elmo's. <laughs> well, Bill Broderick was buying, so we we all took part. <laughs> Why not? Well, we were going through some old magazines the other day here, and we found a, a February 1948 issue of Speed Age, that grand old magazine. And in that uh, issue, it talked about a new organization being founded called NASCAR. It talked about you know the, the meeting at the Streamline Hotel and all that, but but uh, what was really ironic is on the very back page there's letters to the editor, and there was a fellow that said that he was a fan of the Indianapolis Speedway and he thought it was terrible that they only race there once a year, and he suggested that every Labor Day they needed to run a stock car race. Now this is 1948. This guy came up with an idea to run a stock car race at Indy, and it took until 1994 to actually have it happen. Who was it? Do you have any idea? No, it was some nondescript guy. And, just a uh, fan. You know, yeah, just a fan. And he said he'd be happy to, uh, you know, to to consider himself the first entrant if they wanted to put it together. That sounds a little <laughs> bit like Bruton Smith writing under a pen name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Did it say Humpy on yeah. it? <laughs> no, there was no Humpy involved. No, no. Humpy, no Bruton. No Humpy. Yeah. No Bruton. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. As you know, Buzz is here to play and beat us up again. Uh, so let's set this up for you, how it works. Uh, the week before each episode, we put out the call for Junior Nation and Dirty Mo followers to take to our Twitter accounts at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio. 
and post with the hashtag back in the day and tag with Exalta. Of those, Buzz will represent one lucky fan in Beat the Buzzer against Wiley co-hosts Steve Richards and Ron Masters. We are Wiley. We're getting less Wiley mm-hmm. as the weeks go on, I think. We're like wild, I think. Yeah. If <laughs> Buzz gets them all right, and he usually does, uh, one lucky fan chosen randomly from that week's submitters will win a prize from, as we said, Dirty Mo Radio or Exalta. And we are playing for? Jay Coker. All right, Jay, way to go. Jay Coker. Yeah, I'll right. give him my best shot. Okay. All right. I'll just take the first question since I'm talking. Sure, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> You're talking. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number one. Of the 23 Brickyard 400 races, how many has a Chevrolet finished first? Mm. I'll tell you what, the old Bowtie Brigade really, really has dominated that track. And uh, there have been 16 wins by Chevy out of the 23 that have been run. Bowtie busted again. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I figured he'd get that one. I did, too. Question number two. Who is the all-time leader in Brickyard 400 victories? Hmm. You know, the the big thing about uh, Indy was, uh, boy, if somebody could win four Indy 500s or four races at the Brickyard, that would be so cool. Mm -hmm. Floyd was the first. Now, we've had a few since then, but our old buddy Jeff Gordon has five wins in the Brickyard. At, or at the Brickyard, in the Brickyard race. So uh, he's the uh, the all-time leader there. That was the easy one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 94, 98, 01, 04, and 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm. you know, Jimmy Johnson's come close. Right. Yeah, we talked about him earlier. I think he has four. Mm-hmm. Four, yeah. that's right, yeah. All right, question number three, our last chance. Last arrow in the quiver. How many times has the Brickyard 400 been won from the pole? Oh, okay. Um, it's hard to do in the Indy cars for sure. Of course, they've been doing it a lot longer there. But uh, uh, there have been uh, four wins from the pole. You have Harvick and Jimmy Johnson, Ryan Newman, and most recently was Kyle Busch this past year, 2016, and that was his second consecutive Brickyard win, and, and Kyle won from the pole in 16. So we have four of them so far. Now, I didn't actually look, but has anybody won back-to-back before Kyle? Oh, you know what? Um, golly, I, I want to say DJ, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I would have to go back and do a little bit of work I on think that. there was a year break in between those. Yeah, but yeah. Next time we do this, I'm going to get you uh-huh. with that. Um, Very good. Well, you did it again, Buzz, and, and old Jay Coker's going to get a prize. And uh, <laughs> he's, you know, I think I think all the people that win prizes from uh, from your knowledge should come and uh, take a picture with you at the uh, at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, that we would. Be. We would really enjoy that. Hey, uh, Buzz. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Johnson won back to back in '08 and '09. Oh, super. Okay, right. thank so you. So just that. just one other, just one other. Okay, there you go. Well, I uh, I'm going to go ahead and put that in my important things to remember list. Well, now I can't do that next year. Thank you, Mister Information. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I lay it out there for you, and you just smack it into left field. You know? <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. That's right. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, Buzz, thank you so much for coming on and and, uh, doing this. It's really getting a lot of play in our comments. Uh, Everybody loves this segment, and uh, as much as we hate getting beat, uh, we can't imagine getting beat by a better guy. So, oh, we well, see what it is though. Uh, We're we're building the anticipation of one day I'm going to fall right on my butt, and um, you know, and and, to show that I'm only human, you know. So keep tuning in, folks, and see if I'm going to crash and burn one of them. 
Jones. I think I'm going to have to see if the Dirty Mo uh, uh, officiating league will uh, allow me a touchdown celebration if we do that. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know if we should call him the Encyclopedia Britannica of NASCAR no. knowledge or the Wikipedia of NASCAR oh, knowledge. Oh, the Encyclopedia oh. Britannica. Wikipedia I, I, is just, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, either one. Encyclopedic. Either well, one. Well, I'm works. honored. Whatever you want to call me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just not late for dinner. Not late for dinner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Buzz, again, and uh, and uh, hopefully everybody will go down to uh, Uptown Charlotte and visit the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Buzz loves to talk. I know. Uh, mm-hmm. We all know, and uh, you know that's. I'll tell you what. We get to talking. It'll be hours before we realize exactly what we were there to do. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was. Uh, it's funny. But uh, oh, make sure you do. And, uh, and Buzz, anything going on there uh, this week? Yes, absolutely. We have um, the, uh, the Petty Legacy exhibit. We have several cars uh, from the, the Petty family that we have on display. And uh, it's in honor of Richard's 80th birthday, which took place on July 2nd. And uh, ironically, that was the uh, you know, same day that Amelia Earhart disappeared. So if you talk about <laughs> trivial facts. Wow. <laughs> but I remember growing up in Daytona, uh, Richard always celebrated his birthday in July because he was in town for the uh, the Pepsi 400 or the Firecracker 250 or whatever they called it. So there was always a little something going on in Daytona to celebrate Richard and his birthday. And uh, so it kind of brings back memories of that. But, yeah, what we did, uh, you know, we wanted to do something for Richard. And he said, well, heck, let's do it for the whole family. They've all been a part of this. So uh, we went to the, the, all the individual family members and found out what they wanted to show. And it's a really, really neat deal. It's their personal memories of what uh, you know their family and racing has been all about. So uh, we're very fortunate to have the items. And uh, they didn't throw anything out over the years. So you'll see an awful lot of stuff that uh, has uh, never been shown before. Very cool. Yeah, we really encourage everybody to go down there and talk to Buzz and see that. And- Buzz, I'm going to sit here and hibernate until I come up with a question to beat you. <laughs> okay. All right. You know, a couple of six-packs would probably help, too. Yes, that's right. But Dale's Pale Ale, sponsor here at Junior Motorsports. <laughs> Thanks again, Buzz. We'll see you. Uh, take care, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Thank you, fellas. It's been great. That's it for this episode of Back in the Day. Thanks to Buzz McKim, our resident NASCAR guru, for playing along with us again. And keep an eye on at Exalta Racing and at Dirty Mo Radio for the opportunity to play along. Remember, history is made every day, so be a part of it with Back in the Day. Thanks for listening to Dirty Mo Radio. If you love Dale Jr., then Exalta Racing is your go-to social media account on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It brings you insider's info all weekend long on the 88 team. It's at Exalta Racing, a must-follow for any Dale Jr. fan.